welcome in. If uh, you're new here uh, or visiting or whatever, my name is Gentry. I'm not the campus pastor here. I'm just an intern, but I'm up here teaching you guys today and super excited to be here. Um, how are you guys doing this morning? Sweet. That, that, was, a good, that was a good response. Cool. Um, so if you're new or visiting, we have been uh, working through a series in First Samuel together as a church. And this series has been uh, less than conventional, to say the least. Uh, there have been very few teachings, I'll call them, that we've had up here in the last several months that have been a traditional sermon in the sense that you might be used to going to church if you have any previous church experience. We've been in a much, like, heavier Bible study kind of mode since we started this uh, look at the book of 1 Samuel earlier this spring. And the goal of why we've kind of changed up the format and why we're doing this more intensive Bible study is uh, to help you guys give you guys the Ethos Church Hillsborough Village family tools that you can take and use Monday through Saturday as you go and open the scriptures yourselves so that you can grow in maturity as a disciple of Christ and grow in your relationship to Jesus. And if you, ha if you have been with us through this series, uh, this morning should be pretty comfortable for you. Um, we're not going to be, I'm not going to be handing any new tools. I feel like we've changed things up a lot and every week has looked a little different and kind of keeping everyone on their toes. Um, and hopefully this week is a little more comfortable, like I said. We're not going to be introducing any new tools, but actually kind of taking some tools that we've already used throughout this series and kind of blending them together, looking at uh, repeated words in stories, comparing and contrasting stories and characters, and just being curious and asking questions as we go through the text. Uh, but that being said, uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Um, we're going to skip and jump and fast forward through a portion of the uh, story of First Samuel. Uh, so buckle up, we're going to move kind of fast, but I'm going to try and make it very digestible for you guys as we go. And the, in the uh, less conventional tradition that we've been doing, I am not really going to be like preaching a sermon this morning. I'm, you're not necessarily going to have like a, here's what I do, walk out of here kind of thing from today. And I'm just going to let the story that we're looking at, the stories we're looking at, preach themselves. As I was preparing this week and talking through some of the stuff I've been studying with one of my friends, whose name is Ben, uh, he said a phrase just about, we were, I wasn't trying to make any points, we were just talking about the story, and he had this phrase, he said, that'll preach, just talking about the story itself. And so that's kind of what we're doing, is letting the story preach itself. Um, to give you a little bit of a roadmap, we are going to look at the descent of King Saul and David's rise to power. If you remember back in Hannah's song, she talks about God exalts the humble and humbles the proud. And that's kind of something we see happening in this story. And we're gonna contrast David and Saul through the stories we look at. And finally, we're gonna dig into chapter 24 is the first text that will really be like sitting in a good bit. 
But before we get there, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, like put a thumb there to hold that or whatever. Uh, Before we get there, I'm going to recap for us some highlights from where we started uh, or where we've been the last couple of weeks. Hold on, I'm going to grab some water real quick. All right. So we're picking up, uh, I'm going to start like recapping in chapter 18. This is just after the David and Goliath story. David has defeated Goliath. Joshua took us through that story and just walked through verse by verse what's going on, what is the story trying to say. And then immediately after that, we see David and Jonathan make this covenant. And our brother Luke taught on that last week. He talked to us about what are covenants in the Bible. And in a lot of ways, it's just stepping into a serious relationship where you're committed to someone. And Luke talked to us about how the Bible is a book of covenants and that through Jesus, there is a covenant offer extended to you. So that is where we're kind of picking up there is in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, this aftermath of the David and Goliath battle. Everyone with me? We're good? Ready to go? Cool. So after David defeats Goliath and him, David and Jonathan make this covenant, Saul, it says, sets David over his men of war. This is a pretty significant phrase. It's actually the same title that Goliath held in his army of the Philistines. So this is a really high position that Saul places David in in his military, way up in the Israelite military after this one battle. But things begin to go south really, really quickly. Uh, In chapter 18, as Saul and David and the Israelites are returning home, uh, it says the women of Israel came out of the cities to greet Saul singing and dancing and to celebrate their victory over the Philistines. Uh, But the song that these women sing annoys Saul because it goes something like this. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And this sparks jealousy and paranoia in Saul. And he says kind of to himself, what more can he have, he being David? What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. He had this suspicious look towards David from then on that was born out of jealousy. And then in chapter 18, verse 10, it says, the next day, so this is the day after the battle of David and Goliath, basically. They went home, there was that celebration, Saul gets annoyed, and the next morning, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within the house while David was playing the lyre, while David had his lyre in his hand. And as he did day by day, this is a very normal thing for David to do. And Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. You can almost imagine this kind of like chase scene through the palace of Saul trying to spear his court like musician and one of his generals in his army. Uh, Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people and David had success in all his undertakings 
for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, Saul stood in fearful awe of David. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So here, a tormented Saul tries to kill David by his own hand twice, by pinning him to the wall with his spear. I want you guys to remember that language and kind of tuck it away, because some of this language will become important in some later stories that we look at. Um, But, and so Saul begins scheming against David. When it says he makes him a commander of thousands, that's actually a demotion from where he had put him after the battle with Goliath. And he's doing this intentionally. He's trying to put David in a more dangerous position within his army, hoping that he will fall in battle and rid himself of this threat to his throne. Uh, And he's afraid of David because even though he puts him in this more dangerous situation, David continues to return successful, successful from battle. And Saul, I'm sure, can see that the Lord is with him and he's not sure what to do. So then Saul is, begins using less overt tactics than just throwing his spear at David. And he says, hey, David, how about you take my wife or my daughter as your wife? And David is like, whoa, who am I, first of all, for you to like offer me, the king's daughter, as a wife? Two, I'm super poor. I don't have the money to pay the dowry for this. I, don't, I can't pay the bride price for the king's daughter. And Saul says, hey, that's totally fine. All I need you to do is kill 100 Philistines and bring me the proof that you did that. Again, trying to put David in a dangerous situation to rid himself of David. But David says, all right. And him and his boys get up and they go out and they bring back not only proof that they killed 100, but that they killed 200 Philistines, uh, doubling the bride price and kind of undermining Saul's attempt to take David's life. And from here, things just continue and continue to escalate. Uh, Saul tells Jonathan after this, Saul eventually tells Jonathan and his servants, hey, I just want you to kill David. Like when you see David next, just run him through with your sword. This is done. Uh, But Jonathan tips David off and talks to Saul. David flees for a little bit, but Saul cools off and David comes back. And then a very, very, very similar story to the one we looked at. Saul tries to spear David again. He he gets angry with him while David is playing the liar and tries to run him through with his spear again. And again, David escapes and David flees. And he goes back to his house and Saul sends spies after him to watch him because he's like, I'm going to get him in the morning. I'm going to have the spies watch him, make sure he doesn't go anywhere. And in the morning, I'm going to get him. But... Michal, David's wife, Saul's daughter, she's like, you have to leave now. This is not getting any better. You have to leave and leave for good. And she helps David escape. She lowers him out of, his, out of their window. The spies don't see him. She like, makes a little like dummy in bed as if David's playing hooky or something when they come in. Uh, and David escapes, this time to never to return back into Saul's court. He's out. He's gone. So Saul, from this point on, 
begins to hunt David down. David becomes this kind of outlaw fugitive character within Saul's kingdom. And every time he gets, Saul gets a tip of like, hey, David was spotted here. We think he's here. David takes an army with him and they go out trying to find David and end his life. It's kind of this like Darth Vader hunting Obi-Wan kind of vibe if you're hip to the Obi-Wan series right now. Just saying, <laughs> you should be. Um, and then to continue that, Saul goes super Darth Vader and uh, kills 34 Israelite priests just because one of them gave David some bread while he was on the run. And after this, Saul's kingdom just begins to crumble around him. Uh, people begin coming to David where he's hiding out in the wilderness and this kind of rebel army, if you will, begins to form around David. Shaking, my head, shaking his head at all my Star Wars references there. All right, um, but it's a great story. It's a really thrilling and just really well-told story. If you want the full scoop, go and read. It's like five chapters that I'm summarizing right here for you guys. But Saul, my point is, Saul continues to hunt David down relentlessly. This is a period in time where we get a number of the Psalms that are attributed to David. David crying out like, Lord, deliver me. My enemies pursue me. I'm surrounded, crying out to the Lord as he's just hunted as if he has done something wrong. And this more or less brings us to the first text that we're actually gonna like stop and sit in and look at. Saul has been chasing David through the wilderness and there's almost this chase scene. I imagine almost like a Western of they're all on horses and Saul and his guys are like catching up to David on their horses and another guy kind of slides up on another horse, bringing word to Saul that the Philistines are attacking Israel and he needs to go help out there. So Saul and his guys kind of peel off, letting David escape. And that's kind of where we're at when we pick up in chapter 24, verse one. It should be up there, yeah, and you can turn in your Bible as well. Thanks, Josh. Uh, so, verse one. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men from in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. And now David and his men were actually in that cave, sitting in the innermost part of the cave. And when the men of David said to him, here is the day in which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. The literal phrasing there is as it seems good to your eye. Um, and then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterwards, David also rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul. He said, my Lord, the king. 
And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down with his face to the earth and paid homage. He paid respect to King Saul. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of the men who say to you, behold, David seeks you harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill me, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you. So you guys notice all this hand language. I mean, I also highlighted it if you're reading behind me. There's all this language of what is and is not in David's hand. Saul coming into the cave. So I'm just going to summarize, recap. Saul coming into the cave. He's coming out of the day into this dark cave, and he can't see. Beyond him is just darkness of a dark cave, and his eyes are not like adjusted to the low light levels of this cave. But David and his men sitting further back in the cave, looking out towards the light, and having been there for a while, their eyes already adjusted to the low light have no problem at all seeing Saul as he comes into this cave. And David's men say to him, now's your chance. All you have to do is reach out and take it. Do what's good in your eyes. I can't help but see here a test calling back to Genesis 3. Will David reach out and take Saul's life as it might seem good in his own eyes? But instead, David cuts away the corner of Saul's robe. This symbol of kingship is what he takes in his hand, but he refuses to take Saul's life as it might seem good to him. Because David's heart was struck within him, and I'm not uh, surprised by that fact. Because uh, David, as Cody taught us a while back, has clear eyes. But David struck with his conscience, with his conscience, and he sees it as a sign from the Lord not to reach out, not to take Saul's life, even though his men are saying, God's delivered him into your hand. And so he holds his men back. And when Saul leaves, David reveals himself and that there is no wrong or treason in his hands. And then in verse 12, it says, this is David speaking. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king come out of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? Who am I? May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between you and me and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David here releases judgment over to God. He asks for God to avenge him and what Saul has done to him, but he and he asks for God to deliver him out of Saul's hand, but he refuses to take Saul and to take matters into his own hand. Unlike Saul, who is trying to rid himself of David, Saul 
is a taker. We see that time and time again. Saul continues to try and grasp and hold on to control and keep himself safe and do these things, sometimes in the name of God, so he says, but he's always taking, always grasping at control. Again, Cody's teaching, when he was talking about David's anointing as a boy, he tells, uh, there's this phrase that man sees outwardly. We see the things outwardly that look good to us and we choose to go and take them. That's part of our flawed nature as humanity that's revealed in the fall narrative of Genesis 3. That's, that's a part of all of us. Eve saw and she took the fruit. Saul is a taker, grasping to maintain control. But David refuses. This is something that sets these two apart. There are a few things that really set them apart. Even though they're both flawed, they both mess up, David refuses to take things into his own hand and he instead hands them over to God. He knew, David knew within his heart not to reach out for that forbidden fruit and grab it. And so we continue in verse 16 of chapter 24. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. But he he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you with evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt, dwelt, wow, how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put you, put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you for your good that you have done to me this day. In verse 20, and now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So here now something new is being added into David's hand. Saul admits for the first time outwardly that David is going to be king. He's spent five chapters of this story chasing him down, pursuing him to stop that from becoming reality. But here he admits it. And he says, the kingdom will be established in your hands, David. Unfortunately, this doesn't do much to actually change Saul's heart. You skip forward to chapter 26, and we see another similar story kind of play out. Saul, again, is pursuing after David. He gets another tip as to where David is and goes out chasing him, hunting him down. David gets word that Saul is hunting him down, and so he sends out spies to kind of figure out where Saul and his men are. And that's kind of where we pick up in chapter seven. David's spies have gone out. They found the enemy camp. They've come back. They've given their intel to David. And in chapter 26, verse seven, so David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment. And his spear was struck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. And Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please, please, David, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not have to strike him twice. 
again, we see David's men saying, hey, God has delivered Saul into your hand. And Abishai's language is so telling. He says, let me pin him to the earth. This callback of, hey, he's tried to pin you to the wall. Let me pin him to the earth and end this here and now. I can't help but let my imagination run wild in this story and just go, with, go there with me. Imagine yourself, you've snuck into an enemy camp of a man who's been trying to kill you for years at this point. You've been on the run, you're a fugitive, and you're there in the middle of the enemy camp at night. It's quiet, there's no noise and light pollution from a city nearby, the stars are beautiful. And there lies King Saul, this man who's hunted you down, asleep and vulnerable. And next to him is the same spear that he has attempted to kill you with on numerous occasions. And your friend is like, let me take that spear and just let me end it. Let me finish this right here and right now. I wonder, how long did David stand there? Did his mind reach back to those many times that that exact spear was coming straight at him and he's like dodging side to side? Did he contemplate ending this torment that he's been enduring through the years? Maybe I'm just, maybe David's better than me and it wasn't actually that long, but my mind goes there of like, I can't imagine standing there and how long I would probably contemplate like, this does seem like maybe what the Lord has put us here to do. But David again refuses, and he explains that Saul's life is not theirs to take. It belongs to the Lord. That, gosh, verse, uh, verse 10, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, and his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. David says, it's not for us to decide. Like, yeah, we're here, but this isn't ours to take. Again, David trusts God, he will, that God will bring about righteousness and justice and that God will establish David and his kingdom. So David takes in his hand that spear. And just as he took the robe of Saul, that spear is another symbol of Saul's kingship. So we've got the robe and the spear what David in these stories does take into his hand physically are images of the kingship. Things that were promised to David as a young boy when he was anointed king. But he doesn't take Saul's life into his hand because he trusts and believes this promise. It's the same informed faith that Josh talked to us about and that we saw in the David and Goliath story. It's not this blind faith. It's an informed faith. He knows who he is in God's eyes. And similarly to the other story, David takes the spear and he takes Saul's water jug and he, they get out of camp and they climb a nearby hill and get a safe distance away up on high ground and eventually calls down and reveals himself to the enemy camp, calling down to Saul and Abner, his kind of right-hand man. And verse 17 says, and Saul recognized David's voice, and he said, is this your voice, David, my son? And David said, it is my voice, O Lord, O King. And he said, why does the Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is in my hands? As he's holding the spear. 
And then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son, and I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, here's your, here's your spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. For the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand, and I would not put out my hand against you, against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. And then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, David, my son. You will do many things and succeed in them. And so David went his way, and Saul went his And this is the last interaction of David and Saul. This is the end of their relationship, their story. A few pages to the right, Saul is going to fall in battle. And a few more pages down the road, in the beginning of part two of the story, which is called 2 Samuel, David becomes king officially of Israel and Judah. And reflecting on this story of David sparing Saul, I can't help but... Think about David's heart posture and be reminded of Hannah's song back in chapter two. Like we said, it's, that poem is kind of a word bank. If all, the story of First and Second Samuel is a word search, chapter two is your word bank. You've got all your answers right there. And when I taught on that passage a couple months back, I made the argument that the thrust of the poem was summed up in one line and that that line also sums up the entire narrative of 1 Samuel, and you see it played out through the entirety of the library of Scripture. And that line is, for not by might shall man prevail. And I'm reminded once again of the words of another king who comes along later in the story of Israel. Words that a king from the line of David prayed to his heavenly father on another night in Israel where he was surrounded by people who were seeking to take his life as well. And his prayer and his heart posture was, not my will, but yours be done. And these words of Jesus are the antithesis of doing what is right in our own eyes, and the antithesis of taking things into our own hands or taking things into his own hands. These words produce the most precious and most beautiful gift that you and I could imagine. At moments after that prayer, the Lord's anointed, Jesus of Israel, the Messiah was arrested, tried, and killed, and offered up as a sacrifice. But you see, in those words, and in Jesus' actions thereafter of trusting his heavenly Father, we see the reverse of Genesis 3. We see that narrative reversed and as it plays out over and over again of humans not trusting God and taking things for ourselves and taking matters into our own hands, defining good and evil for ourselves and doing what is right in our own eyes. And David does well here with Saul in these stories we looked at, but he too eventually will fall. Maybe we'll get there if we decide to do 2 Samuel, but go read the story of David and Bathsheba and remember seeing what's good in your eyes and taking. But eventually he falls into the same trap as Saul and Adam and you and me. 
And the book of First and Second Samuel, as you read, continues to make us long for that one true king, the one who will crush the head of the serpent and defeat sin and death and suffering. David looks so promising, but in the end still falls short. But friends, there is good news. The one true king has come, and he has defeated sin on the cross and defeated death in his resurrection, and he will come again to put an end to suffering and make things new and establish his kingdom forever. Um, you guys can go ahead and come back up. I don't really have a full like landing pad on this one, like I said. Um, just trying to let the text preach itself, but... Um, we're going to move into communion. There's communion cups. Every, on the, if you're on the inside aisle, every other row has a bowl uh, of communion cups beneath it. You can pass those to your neighbor. Um, but as we kind of get moving into uh, our time of worship, we're going to take communion, which we do remembering that night, remembering the words of that king who gave his body and his blood for us. Um, as our band is kind of getting ready and warmed up, maybe just turn to someone around you and just reflect on this story together. Share your thoughts, share your heart. I don't have any real like pointed guided questions aside from what do you feel God's speaking to you in this text? What does this text say about God? He wasn't really there a lot. This was a lot of people. What does this text say about us as humans and how we relate to each other? Um, Yeah. You guys can go ahead and take communion and reflect as we move into worship.